The Offscript Podcast. You've been in conversation this week, Chris, with an Olympic champion. I have indeed, Rob. Yes, I was granted an audience with sprint great Linford Christie down at the official opening of the seventh edition of the World School Games. A massive shout out as well to Scotty, to Andrew and the whole World School uh, Games team for their hard work in putting on that magnificent event again. Now, you're a little older than me, Rob. Oh. You should probably be better versed than me to tell our well, listeners about yeah, Linford. I remember it so well. It's one of my most vivid sporting memories growing up as a kid of course the Olympics for me and I think for anyone growing up in the in the the 80s and 90s were absolutely massive I I definitely think that you know as a kid growing up the Olympics are are equivalent to the world's world cup perhaps and perhaps they were perhaps the world cup has superseded them now but back in 1992 I still remember the theme tune Freddie Mercury (laughs) Barcelona and uh, Linford who I don't believe was the favorite for the 100 meter sprint but he just put in that incredible performance and I remember the stare yep. the tunnel vision mm-hmm. and the the whites of his eyes the fact that his eyes were pretty much popping out of his head throughout the duration of that race not the quickest time that 100 metres has ever been run but one of the most vivid and one of the most impressive yeah 9.96 was the time let me tell you uh, Linford this week he was in fine fettle he's actually 62 now is he would oh, you believe that makes me feel so old and as you say the 1992 100 metre Olympic champion he remains as well the British record holder over that distance at 9.87 that's a record that has lasted well over well 30 years now almost uh, he is the only man in British history as well to have won the 100 metres at all four major meets you've got the Olympics the World the Europeans and of course the Commonwealth Games now there wasn't much that we didn't discuss in front of an enthralled live audience earlier this week but I had to start with letting him re-watch his crowning moment back in 1992 which led to the inevitable question does he ever watch your back? I think this is the first time I've seen it in the last couple of years. I, I don't really watch it. And the reason why I don't is because I coach. And sometimes you can get caught up in, you know, you sort of your own hype. And then you become a little bit complacent. You don't want to coach the athletes the way they should do. So you want to forget all this. And, you know, I've had my time. And now it's for you know, the time for the athletes I'm coaching. So... Yeah, I don't, we don't really watch it, we just focus on what they're doing now. Talk to us about the emotions though, because I mean, I'm crying for you, I'm welling up <laughs> watching that. When you do watch it, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, I wish I was young enough to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, for me, I think it's, it, is a little, it gets a little bit emotional because I suppose you don't see it all the time, but, you know, like I say, you just got to let it go and, you know, you wish that, you know, I was young enough to be able to do it again. And, you know, the, the training, I suppose, it's the thing that you don't miss. You, you don't miss the training at all because it was pretty tough. You know, I trained sometimes seven days a week, twice a day, three to six hours, you know, a day. And, you know, and for me, you missed the competition. But mm. The work was just... Yeah, we often talk, don't we? And again, young kids here listening, hanging off every word. I mean, you've, you've climbed the mountain in athletics sacrifice we talk a lot in this world about in order and and again i I say this of any industry you've got to make sacrifices to get to the top talk about the sacrifices that you had to make in order to become an olympic champion well there's a lot of sacrifice i mean for me the biggest thing is you you know you're an athlete 24 7 and everything that goes with health and everything else you've got to you that's what you've got to stick to so i didn't do the junk food i didn't you know Chocolate no burgers. Out. <laughs> no burgers, no, even still there. But I think 
you know, I can't dance because I spent all my time on the track. I didn't get the opportunity to go to the club anymore and anything. So, you know, I got two left feet. And that's when the new dancers came in, I couldn't do it. I miss, you miss all, like, your family, you know, get-togethers and everything else, you know, because you have to give up a lot. And it's for a short while, and that's what I say. I say it's for a short while. You can give everything up. And, you know, Mom Dali said, you know, work hard now so you can live the rest of your life like a champion. Love that, love that. Uh, there'll be a lot of kids thinking, wait a minute, I can't go to the disco, so let's not scare them <laughs> off. Was it worth it? Honestly, Linford, all the hardships, all the sacrifices, all the early nights, all the passing McDonald's and not nipping in for chicken nuggets, <laughs> was it all worth it? I think it was worth it. I definitely think it was worth it. You know, like I say, it's, it's only for a short while. You know, and once, once, you know, you can't, you know, you can't do this level of competition forever. So, you know, like I say, you do it for a short while, you give it everything you've got, and then you can live the rest of your life. I mean, for me, this was like, this was, this was my job. It's all I, it's all I did 24-7. We've got a lot of teachers here today, of course. We've got some mums and dads who I think have snuck in. I think they're just big fans of you, to be fair, Linford. But I often say, behind any great athlete, behind any good human being, there's always people in the background, the, the unsung heroes, you know, the mums and dads, the taxi drivers, as I call them as well. I'm one of those now. I, I read an article that your grandmother, Anita, was a big part in your kind of love of, of sport and, and love of running. Tell us a little bit about the role that she played in your upbringing. Well, I grew up in Jamaica until the age of seven. And my parents went to the UK because my mum was a nurse. And at the time, they wanted... You know, sort of like the, what they call the Windrush generation. And I lived with my grandmother in Jamaica for the first seven years of my life, and she was my role model. She was the kind of person I wanted to be like. And every time I tried to make a decision, you know, she was the person that, you know, I can go to and talk about it. And so I think, you know, I was doing that. I was running around at the track for, you know, my younger years. I mean, let me even go back further. Oh, I got started in athletics. I went to a school in London called Canberra Primary School in White City, which for some of us old enough, maybe I'm the only one old enough to know, they had the, uh, the Empire Games or Commonwealth Games there. And so I went to a school there and I ran across the playground one day because I, I wanted to be like Georgie Best, who was a big footballer at the time. And I wanted to, you know, I, like most boys, I suppose, we want to be footballers. And I wanted to be Georgie Best. And I ran across the playground for a football. And my art teacher saw me running. And he came out and he said, you should try out for our school team because you're fast. <laughs> and, you know, I am 62 now. And I really don't understand how he can just look out there and, you know, at, at seven-year-old, eight-year-old and see... And the talent. What was his name, your art teacher? His name was uh, Mr. Wright. That's what I so Mr. Wright's a hero. Oh, Mr. Wright's a hero, trust me. So um, we've got an Olympic gold, not because of you, Linford, sacrificing, it's because of Mr. Wright. Oh, definitely. You see, and then, you know, I was just messing around the track, doing bits and pieces, hanging out with my friends. And I went to English schools, which is a big competition. I was about 18 and I came second. And never been coached or anything else. And everyone was kind of shocked. And... Then I got a coach. My teacher at school took me down to the, the tr local track. Got, I got a coach, and it's a guy called Ron Rodden. And he wrote me a letter, you know, because I was messing around all the time. Then he wrote me a letter and said, if you change your lifestyle, you could be really good. And I went home disgusted with my grandmother. 
and she said to me, you don't want to go through life saying, if only. She said, if you, you, you give it a go, give it a try. If it doesn't work out, then at least you try. But if you don't, you're going to say, if only. How old were you when he sent that letter? Ah, I was about 25. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was trying to call him century messenger. <laughs> Less. And, and again, he was right because you did make those sacrifices. And I do wonder, you know, whenever I've got a, a younger generation, you know, in front of, of me, and, and we're doing talks like this, I always wonder about pieces of advice because we're all seeking our own little piece of motivation. What may, motivates you, Linford, could be very different from what mm. motivates me. But what is the bit of advice that you receive that still stays with you to this day? I think it's uh, enjoyment. I was told if you. In- Love and enjoy what you do. The more you enjoy it, the harder you work. The harder you work, the better you'll get. And, you know, that is my mantra that I take through life all the time. They often say as well, uh, boys and girls, it's, it's a saying that's it's well told in, in elite sport. In any life, again, I go back to any walk of life, that you learn more about yourself and fail the, failure than you do success. And I look at your career, Linford, and there was peaks and troughs. There's no doubt about that. You are a... You're a kind of walking poster boy for perseverance more than mm. anything else. Talk to us a little bit about the low moments, because it's all good and well us sitting here talking about your highs. I want to know about the low moments. Talk to us about a couple of those and, and how you dealt with those. Well, I mean, this is, you know, everyone sees the finishing product. And when I'm out with training, I mean, we're running in the snow. We, you get to the track in the winter, because you've got to train all through the winter, summer, you know, rain, sleet, snow, and you go out of the track and sometimes the track is covered in snow. And part of the warm-up, we would get a broom and everyone would sweep a lane just so we can train. And sometimes the training is so hard, you lay on the floor, you sleep in the snow. You know, my coach will give you 15 minutes recovery from a run and you'll sleep for 10 of those in the snow, not knowing what to do. You pray a lot, you know, you say, dear God, please don't let me die here because you feel that's what you've got to go through. You know, you... and we're a bit crazy. I think, you know, to be you know, a world-class athlete, you've got to be a bit touched in the, in the head, I think. Because you come back and you say, oh, I'll never do this again. And the next day you're back again. you never do this again. And the next day you're back and this is, this is how we do Because we have this memory where you can block things out and forget about it. So, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. It's hard. You get injuries. Injuries is, gosh, I've had so many injuries, you wouldn't believe it. You know, I pull the muscle off the bone and... I mean, at the moment, it's strange thing. I walked across the, the car park there the other day and I stepped on a stone and pulled my car. <laughs> that's old age, Winford. I think that's old age. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, that's what it is. But, you know, those are, they've got to be lows. And this is where we get back to sacrifice. You know, and I say, if you look around and you're looking, everyone has to sacrifice something. You know, in order to be something, you have to go through something. And this, I mean, you know, if you've never had that experience, an experience maketh the man. So you have to have that experience. And if, you have, if everything is hunky-dory all the time, then yeah. you're never going to stick to it. But when you've had those hard days and, you know, trials and tribulation, it makes you stronger. It's like breaking a bone. When you break a bone, it heals stronger. And this is how we've got to be. The Off Script Podcast.
You are listening to Off Script. It's a special of sorts. Our very own Chris McCarty in conversation with an Olympic champion, Linford Christie. Yeah, I caught up with Linford at the opening ceremony of the 7th World School Games right here in Dubai earlier this week. He was the special guest of honour down there. Now, we heard before the break about Linford's upbringing, the sacrifices that he and his family had to make in moving to the UK from Jamaica, and of course how he got his first start in athletics. We now turn our attentions to Linford's great achievement August the 1st 1992 and that 100 metre Olympic final just how were his nerves the night before and I guess the million dollar question did he get any sleep uh, I mean it's very difficult to sleep when you're competing in you know in the big championships like this you go to bed and you, you think you're asleep you know for four five six hours and you get up and you only realise that you've only been sleeping for an hour <laughs> And you lay there and your heart is just pumping away like crazy, you know, and it is very difficult. And sometimes, you know, if, you know, you don't want to take a sleeping tablet because then you'll feel too groggy in the morning. But we have to, you get up at maybe about five o'clock in the morning, then you go down, you've got to get ready, have breakfast and your appetite goes because you are so nervous and you have to pretend that you're not nervous because you're walking through the the dinner hall, wherever it is, and everyone else who you compete against is looking at you. And they can read you like a book. So you have to, you know, walk in and pretend you're not tired and, you know, you sit there and all you can have, you know, well, for me, I piece of toast and maybe a cup of tea. That's all you you know, you just can't eat. And so you have, you have to get, then you get to the track and you have to get your massage, you warm up and everything else, and then you have... You've got, you know, you've got to plan it because you get to the call room maybe an hour before you, you need to go out on the track and then they check your numbers, they check your shoes, they check everything to make sure it's all right. Then you get, you get in the coach, you walk up, you know, you walk a bit and then they check you again and then they put you in the call room and it's, it's a room like this and everyone you're competing against, you are sitting with them. And are you staring at them? I mean, what are you doing? You know, you look slow today. You definitely <laughs> look slow. What are you, are you speaking to one another? What are you doing? Are you don't, I mean, we don't speak, we don't speak at all because I think everyone's nervous, but you know, it's, there's a lot of mind games going on in there. And I think what you've got to realize is the race is won before you get on the track because you have to get into people's heads. The, you know, I say we all train, we train the physical, the body and everything else, but not many people train the mind. Yeah. So. You have to get into people's mind because if we're all we're all this, we're all as talented as each other. We all train virtually the same way. So how are you going to beat the guys you run against? So you have to get into their minds, and so there's a lot of mind games going on in there. I want you to be very honest here, Linford. The night before 1992, and again we're going into the elite psychology of a sportsman, a legend. Lying in bed, did you ever think, "What if I slip coming out of the box? <laughs> no. What if I trip?" What if I finish fourth? Was there any negative thoughts that got into your head that night before? No, 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 not at all. The, you, you cannot allow yourself to have negative thoughts at all. And for that period of time, the night before, the only thing you may do, you may run the race in your mind because you, you have to run it how you think it's going to go. And it's always finishes with you being in the front. But you have to have the... I mean, confidence is the biggest thing in our sport, and you have to have ultimate confidence in your ability and that you've done the right training, that you've got the right people behind you. 
And if you, if you leave one room for doubt, then it, it's all over. It's all over. Because you can do the same training one year and get it all right, and you do the same the following year, and it's all wrong. So it's, it's, you've got to have a lot of faith in the training. If you believe the training you're doing is right, it will work. If you don't, it won't. So we're a few minutes out from the start of the race. You're in the, the call room. Your competitors are there. The call comes over the tannoy. Can the 100-meter male runners make their way out? What's the stomach doing at this point? Are you running to the nearest bathroom? Or what are you doing, <laughs> Winford? Uh, I think you go to the, you'll go to the toilet maybe five, six times <laughs> in, 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 an, in an hour period. You go and then you always feel like you need to go again. It's just nerves. You go and nothing happens and you come back again. and It's just one of those things. But, you know, so we, like, once they call you, you, you walk out in, in your lanes and you go through a tunnel. And I always say that's the scariest thing in the world because you walk in, you know, you're in the call room and as soon as you get out through the tunnel, there's, you know, 60, 100,000 people and everyone's cheering and that is the dangerous You hear part. it because oh, you, you hear it. You hear it. You hear it. And you have to make yourself believe that they're only cheering for you. You, you know, even if they're cheering for someone else, all, the only thing that you can focus on is that the whole stadium is there to watch you run. And that's the mind game. So you're walking out, and if, if you're in lane four or five, I mean, I'm always, I always walk in the front. So, you know, you start off and you walk out, and then you, you, you run in. I mean, I run the race from my mind saying, okay, I'm going to overtake you, I'm going to go past you, and, and I go to, uh, work it out till I get to the front of the queue and I'm the first person out. And sometimes they'll send you back because you have to stick in your lane. So you're, you're already, in a lot of ways, on the walk to the starting blocks, you're already thinking, I'm going to get past you, I'm going to get past you. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant, though. I, think, I find that fascinating. So you would want to be at the front because it's all about training the mind. I've got to be at the front because I'm going to be at the exactly. front. Exactly. You, wow. you don't want to be the guy at the back. You don't want to wow. walk out the back at all. You have to. I mean, everything you focus on is with you. Can you see tomorrow now, Linford? The kids are going to be sprinting <laughs> to the front. No, you get out of the way. No, you get out of the way. We, it'll be carnage tomorrow, so teachers be with <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. You know, you have to, you know, the focus of everything is you. You have to, I mean, they say it's, you've got to be selfish. And I think it's a little bit that you've got to be, you've got to be a little bit of everything to, you know, to be that kind of runner. I've always wondered, and put me in the picture on this one, Linford, if you're at the front and that couple of seconds, your name is read out, where does the mind go? Because I know I've been in places, I've done radio shows and I've hosted events where I'm thinking, did I leave the door unlocked? Did I leave my <laughs> light on? Where does the mind go? Are you ever, again, you're focused, yes, but are you ever wandering off there's someone I recognise in the crowd or, or is it just laser focus on that finish line? It's got to be laser focus. You just see yourself. And, you know, you can't be distracted at all. So you walk out and then you get to, you know, you gain your lane and everything else and it's still a focus. I mean, we, you know, you'll do some runs some jumps and whatever it is that takes you there, you sit down and at the same time your heart is pumping away like crazy. And we're all afraid, but you've got to make the next guy believe that he's more afraid than you are. And that's what it is. So you have, you know, you see me sometimes, you know, I'm focused, my eyes are wide and I'm just, all I can see is, you know, A to B. The finishing line is the only thing, so I've got to get from A to B as quick as possible. And the quicker you finish, the quicker you can go home. But you talk about embracing fear. That seems far easier said than done. How do you welcome fear in? How do you turn fear? 
we all have it. We're human beings. How do you turn fear into a positive thing? Well, I mean, I, you know, to be honest, I never look at fear as being negative, to be honest. I, you know, you get the adrenaline is what we, we call it. And the adrenaline is, is a protector. And it's telling you, it should protect your body because you're going you're to go and do something which is extraordinary. And so that's what it is. So you're nervous and everything else. And that's because, you know, you are getting ready to do something which you're hoping no one else can do. So you, everything has to be a positive. You have to embrace everything and it's all channeled in, you know, it's like we need to be aggressive, but it's got to be channeled aggressive. So, you, you know, you've got to be aggressive inside, but still on the outside, you've got to be relaxed. And, you know, sometimes, you know, your face doesn't look like you're being relaxed, but we are, you know, totally relaxed. Because the guy who runs the fastest but stays relaxed the longest, that wins the race. So here we go then. On your marks, you step forward into those blocks. Again, I narrow down. On your marks, get set. Where's the mind? Don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. <laughs> There's nothing in the mind at all. You, it's too late. By that time, if you're thinking anything, it's all over for you. You've got to clear your mind, you've got to empty your mind of everything else. And the only thing that may go in your mind is that as soon as the gun goes, you just got to get out of dodge. You've got to get out as fast as you possibly can. And that's what it is. But you can't, you haven't got enough time to think. It's too late. There's nothing anyone can do that's going to help you. So the mind's got to be clear and the focus, you get there and you focus on the gun. So you have one ear on the gun and it's just there and as soon as you hear a click, the, we, we always say the B of the bang, you've got to go in the B of the bang. B of the bang. And you're up and running. You're out of, you, you've done well. You've got out the blocks, you've not tripped. You're now running. Now, you are famous for that stare that mm. you talk about. I don't think you've blinked in about 20 years, Linford. Right, so you, you, you're not blinking. Are you still tunnel or do you have your periphery? Or do you know who's slightly ahead of you? Can you see your competitors? Left you, and right. You don't want to see. If you don't see anybody, that means you're in the lead. <laughs> if you see people, you know, the, the problem is like with a lot of people is that as soon as you start running, someone comes on your shoulder and automatically you then change. And then you, you can, you, your, your shoulders will come up and you start to go tight and then you start to fight. You have to concentrate, not see anybody and just stay relaxed. And the reason for my stare was the year before in 91, went to world championships and I finished fourth. And I felt I was in the lead, and all of a sudden, when the guys came on my shoulder, I just went tight. So I had to find a way that would help me. So if I see them, I would stay, still stay focused. And I thought about wearing blinkers like horses do and everything, so you don't see anyone or anything else. And I realized one day in training that if I you know, open my eyes really wide, then I can blur everyone else around out. And so, you know, I thought, oh, that's, you know, something. So we tried it for a little while and everything, and we realized it worked. And so that's the reason why, wow. you know, I did that. Wow. Right then, you crossed that finish line, 9.96, if memory serves me correct. That emotion, because there might be, I'm going to say there's going to be a lot of Olympic champions in this room. The reality is only a very few get to Olympic gold. The euphoria, talk us about the emotions that you felt at that point. Uh, it's at that point you realise your life has changed. <laughs> you move off the back page onto the front page and then you realise that now you belong to the people. You know, your life no longer belongs to you. And I think that's what it is. But, on, you know, up until then, also you think about all the hard times you had in training and everything else. You know, you do it you know, for your coach, your training partners, because, again, we talk about the people behind. You know, my coach, who's 
out the air with me, rain, sleet, snow, you know, and it's harder for him because he's standing up and I'm, I'm moving, so I'm a lot warmer than he is. And then, you know, all the people that sacrificed, you know, their time and, you know, sponsors, everyone else that helps, supports you, then you realise, you know, for them, this, this is, you know, this is for them. And, you know, you train, you know, four years, four years for nine seconds. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's kind of surreal when you think about it. You train four years. I mean, some people, they, they give up after four weeks. But you have to persevere. You have to do the same thing day in, day out, four years, just to run nine seconds. Can I ask a very personal question here, Linford? Did you shed a tear? Did you have a quiet moment where it just, you let it all out, you know, from your gran, the sacrifices <laughs> mum and dad made? Did it all just come pouring out? Uh, no, I didn't cry at all. And, the, you know, the, 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 there's two reasons behind that. The first thing is that if you cry, that's the picture that they will always show. It's going to embarrass you for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, but, and the second reason, that, you know, for me, I think, is what it's sometimes it could be seen as weakness. And you cannot show weakness on the track. You have to, you know, stay strong. Even when you're tired, sometimes you have to, you know, you walk around the corner and you're... <sighs> catch your breath and then as soon as someone comes you stand up and you walk and you make you've got to make everything look easy because your opponents can read you mm. and if they realize even like during the rounds that you're tired then that will give them that little bit more confidence you know to beat you so you have to the idea is you know whether it's good or bad is try and keep your opponents down and keep yourself on top the off script podcast the final part of our exclusive sit-down interview with sprint great Linford Christie. Yeah, having relived his 1992 Olympic gold success in the 100 metre Linford, well, he now turns his attention to dealing with insecurities and self-doubt, the scourge of any elite athlete. Well, I mean, the first thing is that I've never been in a race which I never thought I could win. And, you know, they, they do say all men have created equal, but I believe in the some more equal than others. And the only time I've ever got close enough to doubting myself was at the World Championships in 93. And my main rival was a guy called Andre Kaysen. And, you know, whatever I did in, the first, in one round, he would go faster. And I was on the track getting ready, for, you know, because I'd already done my semi-final. And I'm getting ready for the final. And he was racing. And it came over that he ran... 992, which at the time was, I think, my personal best. And it came over the timeline, and I thought, oh, God. And I, I looked at my coach, and I said, did you hear that? And he said, <laughs> he goes, what the hell are you worried about? He goes, you've done it. He's got to go over, and he's got to get there and do it again. Yeah. And with him just saying that, that just gave me the confidence that I... You know, I didn't have anything to worry about. But that's the only time I came close to doubting. You know, we'll say, I mean, I didn't, you know, some guys, they have a lucky shoe, lucky something, you know. I had none of those. Because, no superstitions? No superstitions at all. Because if you've got a lucky shoe and one day you forget it, then what's going to happen? Yeah. So you have nothing at all, you clear. I mean, I take off all my, all my jewellery, everything, and it's just me. So you weren't like Michael Johnson with that big... Gold necklace. No, just me, 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 and my prayers. That's all it is. I mean, we all, you, everybody prays, you know. And sometimes I always try to say to people, it's it's a little bit more than just going out there and running. It's a bit more, a bit spiritual. I, I honestly believe. I think you get energy from people. That's why you know they say 
home crowd advantage. Yeah. So you get that little bit of extra energy from the supporters and everything else, the people out there willing you on to win. Got to ask about 1996 if I can. And again, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, an opportunity to ask Linford your own questions. Give me another couple of minutes and we'll do just that. I promise you an opportunity to do that. 1996, Linford, comparing contrast emotions. Olympic gold in 92, for the kids that aren't aware, I hate to do this to you, but it's important. It builds, it builds minerals, this. Of course, you, you, you double-faulted. You, you had to walk away from an Olympic final. Take us back there, because again, it's all about character building. Well, I, you know, I, I'll give, I'll admit the, the, the first one. The second one definitely wasn't. <laughs> and, you know, the problem is like, you know, with a full start, it, I don't, it's never really, it's not scientific. No. And so, if you train, you know, you train every aspect of your race, and of course, I mean, you see people doing blocks all the time. Of course, you're going to get faster. But they say, for me, they said I reacted too soon after the gun, which again is kind of crazy because if the gun's gone, then yeah, you know. But it was it was life. It's just one of those things, and you know, I was I suppose, you know, say I was upset is, a, is an understatement, but you know, I didn't cry. <laughs> you just walk off, and it's it's part and parcel of what it is. You know, it's the emotion that takes over because, you know, you've trained, you know, all you know this moment but at the same time I mean I was 36 years old and you know well could I have got a medal yes winning was you know I mean Donovan Bailey won he broke the world record so yeah. you know that was a you know an amazing you know performance in itself so it's I'd rather I would have rather I think I mean I was defending champion so you know I'd rather have gone out you know in the race, but I think it would have been the, you know, second or third would have been the most I could have expected. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And if I'd never been Olympic champion before, then maybe it would have hurt a lot. But it's life. I was thinking last night, I'm speaking to Linford tomorrow. What's a question? It kind of dawned on me. You've already said it, so don't, don't get mad at me for saying this. You're 62 now. Look at the nick of this guy <laughs> for 62. You look magnificent, Linford. Do you still run 100 meters? I don't run at all. You don't. <laughs> I don't run at all. I don't. I don't even jog. I don't do anything. I mean, when I first retired, I thought I can, you know, go out there and I mean, I, you know, there's a difference between I suppose a jogger and a runner. And I thought I could become, you know, a jogger and I can do five k's. So I was doing, you know, a couple of five k's, and we, you're doing it on the roads, and you get to a point when the cars will go past and they will see me. The guys go on, then I'm trying to look. <laughs> you know, and when they go past, I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, asthma takes over. So I just think that my, my body is not built, you know, for jogging. You know, I, I mean, now I, gosh, I weigh, now, I weigh 105 kilos now. I mean, when I was competing, I was between 80 and 85 kilos. So, you know, we're just not built for that. And it's not something I enjoy. <laughs> so what you're saying is if I took you out to the car park, I'd beat you over 100 meters. Ah. Definitely. You know? I love that. Right, we're going to go and do that. I need to get that on my CV. You know, the worst thing is, sorry to cut you, but I was walking across the car park. I was telling a couple of guys, I stepped on a stone yeah. a couple of days ago and I pulled my calf. <laughs> I'm walking now and every time I try to walk and try to hide it, you know, I, I can still feel it. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I do a little bit of gym. I go in the gym and I lift weights with the guys, but that running is not for me anymore. What about that Olympic gold medal? I'm always fascinated by this. I've been very fortunate. I've spoken to a number of Olympic 
medalists in my career. Some say they have it by their bedside table. Some say, no, 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 safely in a deposit <laughs> box. It, I go and watch it or I look at it once a year. Where is your Olympic gold medal? I think mine is in a box somewhere, maybe in the attic or something like that. You know, it's, you know, I've got to tell you, it's not real gold. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, it's not real gold at all. I then. Think I knew that. The silver medal is worth more than the gold medal, if, believe it or not. It's, it's only a sentimental value. The, the, the silver is real silver. The gold is it's just, you know, they, someone got in the workshop and sprayed it. <laughs> they're clearly the IOC Scottish, if that's the case, Linford. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I think, you know, if you ever get, if you come to my house, I, I try not to have any sort of, like, memorabilia or anything else because I don't want my kids, you know, none of my kids run. i got a son who's... He's, 19 now and he's fast but he's just not interested in athletics whatsoever and I think it's because he'll always be compared with me and so you know and I don't want that for my kids so you know I don't force them to do sports they all do some form of you know sport but now there's nothing in my house that will tell you that you know I was an athlete or anything else like that because it's his history. I think I know the answer to this, but are you ever sat on your sofa one night watching TV thinking to yourself, I'm going to go up to the attic, got to dust those medals <laughs> out and have a little look. Did you ever do that? No, not at all. You know, one day I got my kids down and I sat there and I said, you need to watch some of my races to see where your bike comes from. And after we were watching a couple of my, my, my daughter would say, Dad, can we fast forward it now? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things like, you know, for me, I think, you know, I did it, and it's great to have the memory, but again, I just don't want to live in the hype. The voice there of Sprint great Linford Christie. Fantastic insight there from a former, lest we forget, Olympic champion. A massive thank you as well to the World School Games team for setting that one up. The Dubai Leg is one of six events in that WSG series, which also includes the World School Swimming Championships over at the London Olympic Stadium, as well as the World Schools Football Cup, which is held every October over in Barcelona. The guys really are smashing it out the park. For more information, you can visit WSG events.com the Offscript podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode please do go ahead and click subscribe you can also check out our other podcasts time capsule or the big interview find it wherever you get your podcasts 